I'll be reading from Revelation 3, 19 through 22. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Love letters. A lost art, some might argue. I heard that the oldest love letter on record is 5,000 years old. And love letters used to be more and more common years ago. With, the, uh, with telephones and then the internet, I know it kind of took a whole new level. But they tried to have a resurgent way back in 1988 when they came out with the romantic comedy, You've Got Mail. So the love letter tried to make the transition. I don't know if, if you've ever received or sent a love letter. I really, I don't want to know either. But, uh, <laughs> nor do I want to read them. But uh, love letters are a way of expressing, you know, deep emotions and strong feelings to, to one another. And, uh, and that's especially true. Love letters make a resurgence any time that there's a war. Uh, because emotions are running high and people send these love letters to their, their one that they're separated from. And that soldier might get it and, and read it. And love letters are meant to be read, reread, and they might even carry them with them into battle, into those tough times. Love letters have been known to be sent on scented stationery. Yeah. To remind someone of that love. The problem with those scented stationery is sometimes that love that's so eloquently expressed in the letter starts to stink. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't last. It might speak to an unending love, but that love does end. And when that happens, the infamous what do you do with the old love letters? Now, some of you young people might not know what you do with them, but it used to be the, the girl or the guy would get all those love letters out when that love ended, and they would burn them. And, uh, and uh, viciously burn them, torch them maybe. And then when one more came, trying to so talk about, oh, the love is returned, I still feel it. Back in those days in the mail, you just put return to sender on it and sent it back unopened just to, just to get them. A lot of things we can do when that love that was going to never end, that was going to last forever, didn't. And so since love letters are not quite as common, I have a little advice to you about how to write a love letter. It's actually pretty easy to find on the internet. Here's a few things that, uh, that I found. Be ready to get vulnerable when you're writing a love letter, and you have to start it out in this, with a personal greeting, not just dear so-and-so. You, know, you have to have a little bit more oomph to it, and then you say why you're writing, and you try to tell them why you love them or, or love about them or love about being with them and then tell a story talk about the past talk about the present talk about the future you can foresee and then close warmly with a nice juicy sappy line so you know that's how you write a love letter that's it's how it's done they just contain our feelings our strong emotions the depth of our love a commitment to a love that will never change and never End. No compromise, complete, total commitment, always faithful. So do you have any love letters at home? 
To all you in the audience that are 70 and above and still have your love letters, the day is coming when somebody's going to be going through your things. So get rid of them now. Mm -hmm. Because as a person who's going through my parents' stuff right now, I don't want to see it. Ooh, yuck. Get rid of those love letters. That being said, I have a love letter here from my dad to my mom. And if my mom didn't want me to bring it, she should have burned it. <laughs> now, we do find ourselves in a place of going through a lot of our parents' stuff right now. And here is a love letter from my dad to my mom back when they, after their sophomore year at what was called then Central Christian College, what is now Oklahoma Christian, in Bartlesville. And uh, just reading through the letter reminds me of my dad. Even, even then, he happens to find himself in Beaumont, Texas, that summer. It's June of 1953. And on the back, it says, Roy, Beaumont, Texas. Yeah, typical dad joke, right? Dad. He had it even then before he was a dad. So he writes her this letter dated June 22nd, 1953, 10 p.m. Blah, 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 blah. I don't really care. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. I laughed when I read what you said happened to Mary Lou and Wayne. I think it's funny, too. I guess I shouldn't be laughing. It could have happened to me. Only right now, I would give most anything to be able to give someone a chance to catch us, if you know what I mean. No, Dad, I don't know what you mean, and I don't want to know what you mean. Ooh, yuck. <laughs> now, don't think too bad of my mom and my dad. So here's one of the ways they got in trouble as a couple at Central Christian College in Bartlesville. So uh, in that day and age at, that, at OC, they would not allow group uh, single dates. In other words, you couldn't call somebody up and just take that person out on a date. You had to go out on group dates. And so uh, that night, he's gonna take, he, they're going to go out together on a group date. And uh, it's, they, lived, they stayed in this mansion. And on the second story, she comes out to talk to him beforehand. And she comes out on a little balcony there, and Dad's down below. And she came out barefoot. And so Dad saw her ankles. And they were both grounded and could not go out on the group date that night. True story. I heard that many, many times. So getting caught doesn't mean what getting caught today means. <laughs> now, the ankle stuff is kind of crazy, but the group dating, I'm kind of into that. May I get an amen from all the dads in the room? <laughs> and all the kids in the room want to say, Dad... Come on, kids, let me hear it. One, two, three. That was weak. <laughs> One, two, three. Yeah, I love it. You know, actually, I just want to tell you all this, if, you're, if you have dads around still. That is a favorite thing for dads to hear. In fact, they work very hard to get you to say, Dad. <laughs> so well, it's kind of nice to hear it again. Love letters. 1953. A lot of things have changed. 
see the address there? It's Barbara Weatherford in, in Crane, Missouri. You see the zip code? Yeah, no, didn't have them then. Did you see the cost of the stamp? Wow, big spenders, three cents. Woo! Love letters. Tonight, today we were going to spend a little bit of time talking about love letters. And what we're going to look at in Revelation 2 and 3 truly are love letters from Christ to his church. I hope that you will uh, scroll over to, Ro to Revelation 2 and 3 and kind of follow along because we're going to fly back and forth through this several times and think about what a love letter from Christ looks like. And Revelation 2 and 3 truly is love letters from Christ to his people. Revelation 1, 5, and 6 introduces that thought. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. These letters from Christ reflect his love and commitment to us, the depth of his love to a commitment of love that, that never changed. He was totally committed, totally faithful to us, always faithful. And those letters are something that are written down, and in a real sense, they are something for us to keep and for us to carry into the battles that are in front of us. If you want to witness what complete, uncompromising, faithful love looks like, look to Jesus, because he's an example of that. And these seven letters written to the seven churches of Asia are written to churches in a, in a large area, so it's, it's very easy to think that it's a regional, that, that what he is saying is to be shared with those in that region. And, and seven churches, why seven? It's kind of like it's that complete, like it was, it was the churches of that day and age, the people then, these are what they struggled with. And not just then, for today as well. God's people and the Lord's church, these are letters that I want you to think about as being written to you as a person and more than that, to us as a church. And as he writes this, Christ wants us to know that he loves us and that he knows us. And even in knowing us, he still loves us. He still loves us. The church today faces many of the same problems as the church then faces, faced. And so he says to Ephesus in Revelation 2.2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. But it doesn't just show up in the first letter. In every letter he talks about his knowledge of who they are and what they are struggling with and what is in front of them. Revelation 2.9, I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Revelation 2.13, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You do not renounce your faith in me. Revelation 2.19, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Revelation 3, verse 1, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Verse 8, I know your deeds. I see I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. 
I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. In verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. I mean, he gets it. He knows them. He knows what it's like to be a church in that area. He knows what it's like to live in that town, what the town struggles with, with the, the circumstances that are around them, with what they personally are going through. He knows. Isn't it nice to be known? Isn't it kind of reassuring that somewhere out there gets, someone out there gets you? They, they know you. They know where you're from. They know where you are. They know what you've been through. They know what you're headed towards. They get you. It's nice to be known. It's also a little bit scary at times. Because when someone knows you that way, they know the good and they know the challenging. But only someone that knows you that completely can love you that deeply. And in these letters, it's obvious Christ knows his people. He knows them deeply and he loves them completely Christ loves us he knows us and he still loves us in John chapter 10 it talks about the familiarity that Christ has with his people John 10 beginning verse 3 he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out he knows us he knows our name we are his sheep and he is our shepherd Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. You are known, the good and the hidden. And not only are you known, you are loved. The one who knows us that completely loves us that deeply. So, how do we respond to that kind of love? The letters to these churches raises a very important question that I think it's important for us to answer today. And I want to focus on two words and ask the question, will we choose compromise or faithfulness? Compromise and faithfulness. And as we think about these seven letters, I want you to think of those two words. So in this relationship we have with Christ, as his church, as his people, one of the things that stops us from reflecting his love, because if you want to see what that love really looks like, a love that without compromise and completely faithful, you look to Christ. But what does it look like when compromise enters into our hearts and into our relationship? What is compromise? We'll look at compromise first. What does compromise look like? First of all, when we start compromising, you see the loss of love. Revelation 2.4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. When we compromise and start allowing other things in, what happens is our love that was focused becomes diluted, and we lose that first love. And then we find ourselves tolerating sin. Revelation 2.14, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. In other words, they're following these teachings that lead you away from where I am. And when we start compromising with the world and losing our focus on our love of Christ, all of a sudden we find ourselves tolerating sin in others and in ourselves and start justifying ourselves. Revelation 2.20, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. 
By her teaching, she will mis by her teaching she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. By tolerating the sin around us, it leads us away. And what happens then is we become spiritually dead. That's what compromise looks like. Revelation 3, beginning in verse 1. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. When we compromise, we spread ourselves so thin. And then the love goes out. The light goes out. And for many of you, that might be where you find yourself. Just a flickering light. And Jesus calls those who are in that position to be aware of what's happening. And to strengthen what remains and is about to die. Compromise also looks like indifference. Which also leads to self-sufficiency. Revelation 3.17, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Sound familiar in this world? So many of us find ourselves there. We, we pursue things. We start out at a young, with, a, with a walk with Christ, and yet all of a sudden we start pursuing what it takes to survive in this world, and we get there. We have a good job. Things are coming together. And we say, I'm rich. I don't need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Except when we really look deeply into our hearts and into our lives and to a love that was lost, that's all we find. Poor, pitiful, wretched. That's what compromise looks like. So let's go to faithfulness and compare it and walk through these passages. What does faithfulness look like? Well, first of all, faithfulness, look, faithfulness looks like endurance and patience. Revelation 2.3. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You know, it, it's, it's fun to to read of a 18, 19 year old dad's love for his wife. It's cute, it's fun. But you know what was beautiful? Those 60, 70 years later. Endurance through the years. Patience to the end. You have persevered and endured and have not grown weary. A love that does not end. What does faithfulness look like? Not wealth in this world, but wealth in Christ. Revelation 2.9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I mean, deep down, he knows them. And it's not the stuff they have and the appearance on the outside. It's what they have on the inside. Faithfulness brings value to life. It brings value to relationships. And he could look at that church in Smyrna and he can look at us today and say, because you are faithful, there is a wealth that others can't see. There is a richness that bleeds over into everything you do. You live life 
from a position of wealth in Christ. Faithfulness brings stability, even when you're suffering. To Pergamum in Revelation 2.13, Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. I mean, life's tough at times. And when you're suffering, faithfulness is stable. When the world's shaken up around you, faithfulness brings stability. Even when those you love and care for are being persecuted and killed, your faithfulness brought a stableness that is a blessing in life. What does faithfulness look like? Stability, even in the hard times. And it also looks like love and service. Revelation 2.19, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. When I was in the seventh grade, our, our Bible class teacher at church always defined love for us. He thought it was important as, as young men and women that we, we learn what love means. And his definition of love was um, active goodwill. Love is doing things. It's serving. It's actively caring about other people and not just caring but doing something about it. And faithfulness looks like that. It is a love that leads to service, to persevering, and doing more now than we did then. Some of you are in a stage of life where you think you're doing less than you used to do. And I guess this, by the world standards, maybe you're right. But in your walk with Christ, you can do more now than you did then. Faithfulness looks like love and service. And don't miss the other one that he mentions. Faithfulness looks like personal purity. Personal purity. Purity matters in this relationship with Christ. Revelation 3, 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. In this world where it's so easy to get dirty, may we strive for personal purity, and we can. You can do this. I can do this. Because the blood of Christ continually cleanses us. We're going to walk in the light, known by Christ and cleansed by Christ. Let us not have our clothes soiled by the world but let us be dressed in white. And when the world tells us you can't wear white to your wedding or whatever they want to tell you because of your past, I want you to know as a bride of Christ, on that day, we wear white. Every one of us. Not because of our past sins, but because we gave our life to the Christ who washes those sins away and loves us. And then may we remain Loyal. Faithfulness looks like true loyalty. Revelation 3 8, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. In this world, there might be a, things that you think I just can't handle, like there's, there's so much I can't do. This world doesn't value loyalty, it seems like, like maybe they once did, but that doesn't mean I have to reflect this world. I can be loyal. You can be loyal. Faithfulness looks like true loyalty. So what are we going to choose? 
Will we choose to live uncompromising love for the one who showed us uncompromising lives for the one who showed us uncompromising love? Is that what we will choose to do? Because his love for us is truly uncompromising. It has been and will always be faithful. He loved us when he, even before we were lovable. Romans 5 puts it this way. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us knowing what we would do so that we could be in relationship with him. And he did all that for the end because he wanted us to be with him forever. So one more time back through these letters and I want to pick up on his closing. So when you close a love letter, you got to finish strong, right? And Christ finished strong. And in every one of these letters, one of the ways he does that is with the word victorious. It is a special promise to the faithful that we will be victorious. Now, depending on what translation you're using, I'm going to use one that, that uses the word victorious, victory. But yours might say overcomes, and I love that thought. Yours might say conquerors, and that's very appropriate well. So he's going to close out, and he's going to promise us, if we'll be faithful, that we can be victorious. We can be courageous. We can overcome. We are conquerors. And so let's look at the close. Revelation 2.7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is, is in the paradise of God. Revelation 2.11. To the one who is victorious... The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Revelation 2.17 To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Revelation 3.5 The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Revelation 3.12 The one who is victorious, will make, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Revelation 3.21 To the one who is victorious... I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. Forever together with Christ in the presence of a holy and pure God. I hope that excites you. But if sin is still in your life, that should frighten you. Because impurity cannot be coming to the presence of, of a pure God. And what Jesus said is, I love you with an uncompromising, faithful love. Because I want you to be with me. I want us to be together forever. I hope you hear his love. I hope it comes through. 
And so Revelation 3:22, words that also are found in each of the seven letters. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I hope you've been listening. I hope you hear Christ calling his people, calling you. We looked at John 10 and talked about how the shepherd, the good shepherd, knows all the sheep and he knows their names. Well, we are those sheep. Back to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. The sheep listen to, my, to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Christ went out ahead of us. And he's guiding us and leading us through whatever challenges you face and I face. And he's gone and prepared a place for us in heaven in the presence of God. I hope you hear him calling your name. So the letter from my dad to my mom in 1953, that stamp cost three cents to mail. The love letters from Christ, priceless. They were written with the blood of the Lamb who shed his blood so my sins can be washed away and I can be with him forever in heaven. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation because I hope that you've been listening and God has called each of you in some way to respond. For those of you who might be with us at home, we have a prayer page on our website. I hope that you'll go out there and let us know what you're thinking and what your concerns are. But it's not just the people at home. Any of us can use that website. It gives us an opportunity to pray for one another and each other. If you're here today and really been struggling, we have a couple of shepherds and their wives that are going to make their way to the parlor. It's just right behind me. You can go out any of these doors and make your, your way around. They would love to, to, to be there with you, to listen to you, and to pray with you. For some, it's the call to come to the Christ to give your life to him, to have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism and to be raised to walk in that new life. Last week, over the last week, we've got to see five people do that here at, at church. We've got time. We'd love to see more. If that's where you are, we hope that you will choose to respond today. God loves you. He loves you with an unfailing, uncompromising love that will never end. May those of us who are his children reflect that love and be faithful. And if you're not his child yet, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?